everybody. Welcome back to Have a Little Insight. This week we talked to Kat Barron. Kat is a full-time professor at Algonquin College here in Ottawa and she teaches in the Community and Justice Services program where she teaches a course on sexuality. And we sat down to talk to her today about sexual education. We talked about things about discrepancies in understanding anatomy, safe sex, and how to start having the conversation with our children whether you're a parent or a teacher there are some great resources in here for you so stay tuned and here's Kat all right welcome everybody so we are here with Kat Barron today uh, we connected with her actually through my sister uh, who took her course on sexuality at Algonquin College so Kat if you want to just introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself uh, oh, hi, people. Um, my name is Kat Barron, and uh, I am first and foremost a, a mom and a partner. Um, but yeah, as Ryan said, I also teach at Algonquin College in a, in a program called the Community and Justice Services Program. And, and we, the last time we spoke, we realized that you have both have siblings that graduated our program. So uh, we're, we're really connected in, in many ways. Yeah, I thought it was uh, kind of fascinating that both of us had siblings that uh, took your course <laughs> and that yeah. we were connected for the podcast. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Mentally. Yeah. Yeah. So I think where I wanted to kind of start off was just asking about um, the class itself that you teach and kind of what that looks like, like the course matter that you cover. So I, um, the, the course has changed over the years. I started teaching it in 2002. And uh, 2002 doesn't seem like that long ago, but if we look back on uh, in the history of, of Canadian legislation even, um, gay marriage wasn't even a thing, right? The, 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 the ability to marry a same-sex partner didn't exist in 2002. So my, the, the content of my course has changed significantly since then, how I teach things, um, you know, what kind of discussions we have. Um, 2002 is also the year that, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, a young man named Mark Hall um, wanted to bring his partner to prom uh, somewhere in the Toronto area. I can't remember because uh, it's a long time ago, but um, and he went all the way to the school board and to the courts to get permission to bring his male partner to his prom. And so that's the context within which I was teaching. You know, now it's 2001. Uh, well, the last time I taught the course was last year, 2020. And, you know, most of my students come in with a better understanding of a better understanding of social, of sexual orientation, of uh, reproductive sex, sex uh, and, and sometimes about protection. Um, but even at the college level, I see so many deficits in what we teach our kids. And, and you know, when they get to me, they're still missing all kinds of, of things. I, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, definitely. And I think that was more the bigger piece that we wanted to try and get into and cover is like 
that there is a lack of education um, at a younger age so that when somebody takes your course, they probably are surprised at how much they don't actually know yet. Yeah, totally. uh, even even there's there's a lot that I probably don't know, like if I'm being honest. So. Well, that I still don't know, and I've been teaching it for a long time. But that's the thing about sexuality. It, it grows and changes, and it's one of those things that any topic within the course, you could go down a rabbit hole for a long time and, you know, uh, learn all kinds of things. But some students come to our program and look down the list of courses, and in the third semester, we have this sexuality and gender course and go, why are we learning about sexuality in college? You know, and, and but then when we get into the content, um, and I usually start with anatomy, like the simplest stuff. And most of my students are blown away first day when I mention the word vulva, instead of calling it vagina, right? Because we've grown up saying, boys have penises, girls have vaginas. But girls have a, actually vulvas, right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, um, just even that 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 word and and the the proper terminology and a proper understanding of their own bodies and how their bodies work and what a menstrual cycle is and how sperm develops. Most people don't know that because it's not taught, right? The simple things are taught. The things that teachers are comfortable teaching are taught. Um, but there's, but, but that's it. So I'm curious now I have, well, now I have two questions, which is quite common for me, but um, <laughs> I'm curious because I would imagine, first of all, that certain things like how sperm develops and menstrual cycles and stuff like that to some sort of extent must be covered in high school biology even. If a student takes biology, maybe. It depends on the type of biology, I guess. Right. I'm not familiar with the curriculum in high school. Um, and I think it's probably pretty varied based on teachers, right? It's, it's all based on the teacher makes the course. Um, whether or not the curriculum there, it's how the teacher interprets that curriculum and delivers it. So there aren't many teachers that are comfortable talking to high school students about body parts, right? And about sperm development and about breasts and about vulva and all the different parts. There aren't, there aren't very many and they don't get any training. It's not a, a deficit that they have individually as teachers. There's no teacher training about sexuality, right? These, these poor people are in front of of our children and they haven't even been trained in how to talk to kids about their bodies, about, um, you know, even in, in grade six, kids, little, little girls are getting their periods and, and teachers don't know how to handle that, right? Especially the poor male teachers because they don't have any training, you know? So, Maybe we can dive a little bit deeper because you say you start with anatomy and um, these areas where we have shortcomings, even on like the most basic thing about our bodies and our anatomy. So maybe we can just elaborate on these topics a little bit more to give people more understanding, like 
what is a vulva? How how is sperm created? Like maybe these are things we can we can talk about a little bit for someone who's listening and goes, boy, it's half penis. You know, like when you know, like I know that women have a vulva, but even when you say that to me, I'm like, well, what's the difference? What is it? Right. So it, I wish I had um, created a, a PowerPoint for us to to look at because. Because visuals are really important, right? Because some people are auditory learners and some people are visual learners. And, and oftentimes little diagrams really help to, to, to kind of make people understand. But the vulva is the external genitalia. So a penis and a vulva are external genitalia. And a vagina is internal genitalia. And I'm trying not to say... Uh, uh, that the vulva is a female uh, external genitalia because sometimes uh, male people, people who are male, uh, also have vulvas, right? Um, because if they're transgendered and uh, have chosen not to or, or haven't had surgery, um, they're a male person with a vulva. So I'm, I'm just, I'm careful to say females and males. Um, and, and that's another teaching, right? That's, that's just, just that part right there about learning about transgendered issues and um, learning about, uh, you know, the difference between what you see in, in pop culture uh, and, and what's, what's real, you know, and what real stories are. I'm going off on tangents and think a thousand different things. It's funny. That's okay. I was going to say too, in terms of like, we provide show notes and resources for people. So oh, we can provide diagrams for these things that we talk about. And for anybody who's listening, those diagrams can be made available. So you can understand more um, external yeah. and internal um, genitals genitalia. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Genitalia, I guess. Is or genitals. Right. Genitals is fine. Okay. Parts, bits and pieces, whatever. <laughs> whatever you're comfortable with. I know Ryan and I have talked about how we still like even get a little bit pink in the face, you know, even though we've decided to do this. But I think exploring these topics that people don't know about, like, so then I'll go back to the other thing that you mentioned. How How is sperm produced? Like, how does that work? <laughs> so how I explain it is that um, uh, once a, a male, uh, male testicles enough. So by the time a boy is around 14, 15, uh, a boy with, with um, male genitalia, uh, the, once the testicles are, are old enough, are mature enough, they start, to, uh, they start uh, manufacturing sperm. And the sperm get manufactured by the testicles. Inside the testicles, there's all little tubules. I'm not going to get scientific on you. Um, but so they, they, they get manufactured in there, they get built. And then they go into this little thing, uh, these little tubes that are right on outside of, let's say this is a testicle. Just happen to have this squishy ball here. Um, let's say this is a testicle. There's, there's a, a bunch of tubes that lie on top of each testicle. And those are like warehouses for the sperm. And the sperm live in there and they mature and they get, get bigger and stronger. And once they're needed, the brain sends a little, a little signal to uh, the epididymis and the sperm then move up this thing called the vas deferens, vasectomies. Yeah. So 
vas deferens is that little tube that gets clipped during a vasectomy. And so the sperm go from the epididymis up the vasect or the vas deferens and collects uh, all kinds of uh, fluids from the prostate gland and the copper's gland. There's a couple of other things. And then it, uh, and it, it uh, meets up with the urethra, which is the little tube that goes from the bladder to outside to carry urine. And so the sperm comes out the same tube that the urine comes out of. Yeah. And it's not just sperm then, it's, it's mixed with semen, like seminal fluids. So it, it's called semen in the end. And only about 5% of the semen that comes out is actually sperm. Um, there's like 300 million sperm in there, right? That's, that's, that's the average, I assume. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, that's the average. So some men have less, some men have more, but uh, the average ejection, ejaculation uh, <laughs> is, uh, e ejection, ejaculation is about 300 million sperm. I don't know who counted. Uh, <laughs> he did. Well, I think like we could get a lot into like the anatomy of itself, but when we say like sex, we're talking more about the genitalia itself, right? Is that correct? Or? Uh, well, that's a good, that's a good, um, that's a good point, Ryan, because the difference between sex and gender is a really important difference. And, uh, you know, so sex, uh, how I usually describe it in class is uh, sex is between the legs and gender is between the ears, right? And so sex is your genitalia and gender is how you identify. And gender is really, we could get into a very psych sociological exploration of gender again, right? Because it's a social concept. We've created this concept of gender so that we can categorize people and count them and uh, control population and all that stuff, um, but it's it's a social concept, and so we are allowed as human beings to uh, have our own gender expression, our own gender identity. Um, like, uh, and and for too long we've been socialized to think that there are only two boxes, right? When I I think there are probably more. I think gender is a spectrum. Um, and some people feel really, really female. Some people feel really, really male. And all the rest of us are kind of in between. Hmm. It kind of reminds me of, um, oh, the name is falling short for me now. But what was his name? He was a really the famous. Kinsey, the Kinsey scale. Right. That's what that's the name I was looking for. It reminds me of the Kinsey yeah. scale where, you know, like probably I think he said only like 10% of the population is 100% heterosexual, 10% is like 100% homosexual, and then the other 80% are somewhere in between on a spectrum. Yeah. And Kinsey has a lot of critics, but that was that's one of the lasting things that uh, has stuck with people his uh, his scale of, you know, you're either really heterosexual or you're really homosexual and somewhere in between. Some people are in between. Yeah. I like thinking of everything on, on spectrums because none of us fit into tiny little boxes, right? None of us have, there, there's so many variables in everybody's life. Mm -hmm. 
but it's too hard. It's hard to put everybody into a little box. But even if you if you just look at an individual based off interests that they have, right? There could be a wide array of things that somebody is into that are like on a more quote unquote male, female side of interests. And there's a mix of right. those, right? That's so right. it's uh, it's just kind of crazy for me to like try to wrap my head around it at the same time. But I I also personally mm-hmm. don't feel like I fit the entire like definition of male necessarily so yeah 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 i i get that because so if i were to go back to my 20s and if i was in my 20s in 2021 i would probably think of myself as she they that would fit better for me right so because i feel like i'm not totally female like i'm not like you know the stereotypical feminine person I have feminine qualities but I'm also really interested in playing hockey I'm good at at fixing things you know those traditional stereotype male things so you know I like that I like that uh, option that that we seem to have built more space in our society for that option of of gender identity um that option of choosing and being non-binary and, you know, um, all of those things. It's fabulous because we were starting to learn more about ourselves and our, and our fellow human beings. And the more we learn, the better we can do, right? Yeah. I think it's important too, like to address like stereotypes, because I think about that kind of thing and like traditional female roles and traditional male roles and like the boxes that we put in. And it's like, just to touch on that and be like, just because you're a girl who likes to play hockey doesn't mean you're not a girl or you're not, you don't feel feminine or identify that way. Or just because you're maybe like a man who really likes to cook, for example, which is something I may be a little bit more dated now that we have like famous chefs who are all really male, but like, you know, or maybe you're a dad who wants to be the stay at home dad, which was typically a female role that doesn't make you any less suited for your let's say stereotypical or traditional gender identity. Like I'm trying to word myself appropriately too, but you know, you can be, you can be a girl and like boy things. So no, no. Gender roles are antiquated, right? They're antiquated. We, we built them a long time ago to define where people could go and, and to control population. Right. Um, And so we have all these really weird rules and they're based on, patriarchy and capitalism and little by little with with all of these activism groups uh you know starting to make way and and black lives matter and and the queer community all of those communities are starting to push us forward you know in our thinking and in our values and we're starting to finally you know if i look at 2020, 2002, when I started teaching in 2021, now, our societal values have shifted so much. We have, we used to be such a a church and state controlled environment. And I, you know, with little by little, we've become a lot more secular, which means there's a lot more space for different values, different beliefs, um, 
And, and I think that's making a difference in how we view sexuality, how we talk about sexuality, how we view gender, um, and how we are, can finally redefine gender and sexuality and all of those things. Time to get rid of that shame and guilt and, and you know, all that baloney that, that, uh, that has kept us closeted and, and um, I don't know, behind, I guess. Yeah, and there was something I was watching the other night that made me think about this, but it's like, we want to say like there are two boxes and that we want to put other people in boxes so that we can be like, okay, got it. Like you're a guy, you're a girl. And then there's certain qualities that match that. But then on an individual level too, like we feel like we have to put ourselves in a box. And then that also becomes frustrating because then it's like, you're beating yourself up over it. Like, you know, I should be in this box. And the one thing, that I that I've still heard people say to this day is like from a guy to another guy saying like don't be a pussy Ugh. and like that's the one thing to me I'm just like what why like why do we have to say that <laughs> yeah. like you're not being a, a man's man you know <laughs> yeah yeah and it's that it's shame right it's that yeah. you don't add up to being that man you don't add up to being a woman um uh, it's and it becomes about man, right? It becomes about uh, stereotypical men, um, and 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 it it reinforces our gender stereotypes and our forces people to take on roles that they're not comfortable with. Yeah. Well, if we bring it back a little bit, I'm curious. Um, like we started out by talking about the shortfalls that you see in teaching young adults when they come into your sexuality class and starting with the concept of just like basic anatomy. What are some of the other lapses in sexual education that you're seeing in people who are in their 20s who it's an assumption or not, but you would assume are already properly educated on stuff like this? Um, I was trying to think of some of the, the myths that continue to uh, bubble up in class and one of the things that I remember coming up all the time is uh, pap smears and nobody likes talking about pap tests pap tests are you know young women know about pap tests because you have to go to your doctor every three three years I think is the guideline now yeah and they put a thing called a speculum in your vagina yes it's the vagina because it's an internal organ um, so the speculum goes in so that they can see your cervix. The cervix is the opening of your, your of your um, uh, uterus. Um, and so they, a lot of young women come to college thinking that a pap smear, a pap test, will also detect STDs, STIs, sexually transmitted infections. And I've, I've dispelled that myth a number of times for a number of years. Um, and, you know, the only thing that the PAP test tests for is unusual cells on your cervix because those unusual cells could be precancerous. And uh, so it's a preventative test. Um, but if you want uh, STI testing, you, you've got to ask for that. 
specifically, right? It doesn't, it's not just given to you. Um, and if you've grown up in a household where you don't talk about sex, you've not really talked about the right names for your body parts, you're not going to be comfortable talking to your doctor about what you need and, you know, can I please have an STI test? Because um, you've got all these assumptions, maybe this guilt and shame. Your parents didn't talk about it, so maybe it's not okay to talk about it, you know, all of that. Um, and heaven forbid that you've gone to Catholic school because you don't even get any sex ed in Catholic school. So yeah, the, the pap test myth comes up all the time. Um, um, what else? Um, most people know about condoms, um, external condoms. Very few people know about internal condoms. They're usually called female condoms, um, and uh, they are an option for some people, right? So the traditional condoms that we use or that are usually called male condoms um, are made of latex, usually. If, if you want something that's not made of latex, you're going to be paying really, really expensive, you know, at a specialty store. But um, the uh, internal condoms normally called female condoms, um, are made of polyurethane. And so they're a good alternative for people who are uh, allergic to latex. It's also a, um, some, uh, some communities really like it because it's a, uh, a tool that a, a, the woman can control um, because it's an external thing. They can put it in themselves. Um, so they feel a, a sense of, a better sense of control. Um, the internal uh, condom has been um, a lifesaver for some women who are in situations where uh, their partner doesn't want to use uh, a condom, and uh, so they can insert the, con the internal condom uh, ahead, and, you know, sometimes it goes undetected, which is, which is better for the woman. Um, yeah, so most people don't know about um, internal condoms, um, and they've rarely heard of any other kind of safer sex uh, options, right? So usually they usually learn about condoms. They don't learn about dental dams, which are little latex um, film that you can use to do safer oral sex. Um, so you spread the, um, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, so yeah. go for it. A piece of latex over the vulva usually, um, which is the external genital uh, parts of a girl uh, or a, a body that has a female part. Um, you spread it on and uh, you lick the, the latex and not the vulva, uh, which is safer than, um, it's just a safer sex technique. Um, yeah, they, they're rarely, they rarely know about any of that stuff. Because again, what high school teacher has the training or the knowledge to be talking about dental dams with their students, right? Because who wants to broach the topic of oral sex with teenagers? Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? That's a tricky one. And, and anal sex. Nobody has talked about anal sex. I do a whole thing on anal sex because... You know, I worked at a at the uh, young woman's shelter. Uh, it's a 
a shelter through the Youth Services Bureau here in Ottawa. And we had uh, young women um, coming to us to ask to go to the clinic all the time who had had anal sex with their boyfriends to avoid pregnancy because their boyfriends didn't want to use a condom. So they, they were preserving in, so I remember one in particular, one woman in particular, she wanted to preserve her virginity um, because that was important in her culture. Uh, but her boyfriend was pressuring her to have sex. So she gave in to having anal sex. And it, there's things about anal sex that you have to know about before you do it because you can hurt somebody really badly, right? So the anus doesn't stretch the same way as the vagina. It also doesn't self-lubricate. Um, so you should use lots of lubrication and you need to take it slow, small and slow at the beginning. And so I think those things are really important things that teenagers should know because some teenagers are gonna get into those situations where they're being asked to do something and if they had that knowledge, they could make those better decisions and maybe put some safety mechanisms in place for themselves, right? Yeah, and I think that's really what it comes down to is like the importance of learning about your sexual genitalia or your sex genitalia and how to have, you know, proper safe sex in every way, shape or form just can help prevent, you know, things from happening. Um, from from the start rather than finding out when it's too late and having to go for tests and finding out that there's a problem now because you just went for it and didn't really know what you were doing and and yeah it, it is like an awkward topic to 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 get into and discuss and I actually started watching uh there's a show on Netflix I don't know like how accurate things are with but it's just called sex education education yeah I just found it fascinating though, how they were talking so openly about it, um, like amongst the, that group, you know, as teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that really happens in real life. Although there are some pockets of kids, uh, of students that come to me and say, oh yeah, I talk, to, I talk about masturbation with my friends all the time, you know? So there, is, there are pockets. And um, if you ask those students, it's probably students who've had parents who've talked to them about stuff from the beginning, right? There's lots and lots of research that, uh, that demonstrates that um, um, early on sex ed and, and not just, not even talking about body parts, but even talking to your kids and respecting their boundaries is super important, right? So not making them hug Aunt Judy if they don't want to add, hug Aunt Judy, respecting those boundaries. Um, not making them want to, you know, kiss Uncle Uncle Harry because they only saw Uncle. I mean, it's easier now with the pandemic. You don't have to hug and kiss anybody, but you know, not forcing kids to do things that they don't want, letting them have that autonomy of body, um, uh, is I think is really important. Um, yeah, boundaries, uh, healthy relationships. You know, people people don't force hugs and kisses on them on each other as humans as adults right so why are we forcing kids to do that um important important boundaries it's funny that you say that actually it just made me realize the distinction so my partner has a five-year-old and 
always the wording when people go to say goodbye is just say a nice goodbye. Like, like there's never the word like, Oh, go give a hug or go just say a nice goodbye, whatever that is for you. You know, like it can be a wave. Sometimes he's like, see you later. Or sometimes it's a hug or more or whatever, you know? Um, But I never even thought about that as like a conscious action before. So it's really interesting that you, that you mentioned that. And then I just have a technical question I want to go back to. And then I'd like to continue on this. When you say female condom, are we talking about the same thing as like a diaphragm, like that they used to refer to as a diaphragm or are these different things? Completely different things. Um, Look it up after the show and you can probably to, I think there's, there's more than one manufacturer. There used to only be one manufacturer because they had the patent. Uh, and I can't even remember what it's called now because anyway, yeah, you can look it up. Yeah, we'll provide a, a resource or a, a link because it's like, it, it's fascinating too. Like those, I've never seen anything like that in a drugstore. Yeah, they are available in the drugstore. They're expensive too though, right? So here's an option that's available, but it's, uh, you know, male condoms are free everywhere. Everywhere you go, you can get a male condom. Um, but female condoms, they're 14 or 15 bucks for three, right? So uh, it's, it's not affordable for most people. Um, and and there's, there's, some, there's some real criticisms of them. And they, they weren't marketed really well either. So, you know, like you didn't know about them. <laughs> most people don't know about them. It's unfortunate. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, the other thing I'm really kind of hard to use too. And that's another thing I, I, I mentioned in, in class is that when you're, when you're going to, um, you know, if you ever offer these options to people, make sure you use them first and see what they feel like. And, um, because with the, with the internal condom, if a person isn't comfortable touching themselves, they're not going to be able to use the internal condom right? Because you, you have to put your fingers into your vagina uh, so that the condom sits properly um, where your cervix is. So um, if you're not comfortable doing that, it's not going to work for you. Same with, you know, uh, a diaphragm, you have to, you have to insert. Uh, same with uh, spermicides and stuff like that. Um, it, it really depends on the person who's comfortable. Yeah. So the other thing is when you talked about myths in sex education, I'm wondering, um, cause I grew up, I guess I was a teen in the nineties and like in my early twenties in the early two thousands, like you were talking about. And I'm wondering if you've noticed any changes in perception or awareness or education around STIs or sexually transmitted diseases, because being a kid who grew up in the nineties, HIV and AIDS was like a huge concern. Whereas sometimes now when I talk to young 20 somethings, they're like, oh, that was your generation's problem. That doesn't really happen anymore. And I'm wondering if that's like a broad spectrum awareness on STIs and STDs, or if that landscape for lack of a better word is actually changed. So most students come out of high school understanding that there are STIs somewhere out there. And that if you don't, if you have sex, you might catch them. Um, it's still a very fear-based uh, education uh, approach, I find. Um, you know, you know, don't have safer sex. Use condoms all the time. 
So there's, there is a better uptake of condom use uh, in this generation, research seems to suggest. Um, so they're, they're getting the message, but they don't really understand what STIs are and how, the, how they can catch them and, you know, um, how they're contracted and, and what happens if and, um, yeah. Uh, there's there's little understanding of that, so that's that's a whole conversation we have, um, a whole course, a core class we have on on STIs and HIV. And I do cover HIV because it's still around, and um, you know my graduates work with marginalized populations, uh, homeless people, uh, street involved, um, uh, people coming out of the the criminal justice system, and um, they. Uh, where was I going with that? Hmm, I can't remember where I was going with that. Well, maybe, maybe. Oh, they need to. They need to have an understanding of of you know the the myths and and the facts out there and where to get them the information and and how to transfer that information to their clients as well because their clients are at most risk. But I still don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, maybe the direction is that like marginalized populations are not just, I think, with sex education or sexual health, but in a lot of departments in our society at increased risk for a lot of different things. Correct. Yeah. Because if you're living on the street and, you know, you have access to a couch as long as you have sex with a guy and it's 20 to 20, you know, minus 20 outside, I'll have sex with a guy. For the couch, right? Because it's it's not about my sexual safety anymore. It's about my own like live life safety. You know, like I don't live if I stay outside, but I live if I stay inside. And so, sexual safety is something that that can be bartered, right? Unfortunately. Well. Wow. I just. <clears throat> I guess what's lingering in my mind and like just being conscious a little bit of the time too is like, I realize this would be like a personal comment, a personal opinion, but with these lapses in education that we're still seeing or like awareness that our young people are having, my takeaway so far and correct me as I'm wrong is the earlier we start even just having conversations, the better off we are. Yeah, I think it's the teachable moments too, right? Like. I don't think sex ed is one conversation and unfortunately the the school system thinks thinks that way right they have one conversation in grade six or grade five I think it is and they have maybe another conversation in grade eight um and we always you know in pop culture we always see the the talk did mom have the talk with you um it's not just the talk it's every time something comes up that might be a teachable moment for me that's my job as a parent and I you know I have the, the knowledge though so I understand that I have privilege here but it, you know with my kids like we were watching an episode of uh, Stranger Things this is several months ago but it was the one of the first episodes where uh, the guy is really pressuring the, the girl to kiss him and to have sex with him and he's going after her and making her late for, for, for class. And here I am, sex teacher, 
pause. And we had a conversation about the fact that it's not okay to pressure someone to do something that they don't want. And we had a discussion about consent, right? Now, I have a six-year-old and three tweens. They're not always happy about these conversations. They're not always thrilled to learn. <laughs> but they're important conversations because they stick with them, right? There's, there's a clear example on the TV about, of this behavior. Let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about the fact that when you're 14, 15, 16, and your boyfriend's doing that, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna feel? How, come, how can we give you uh, the self-confidence to be able to say, no, my body, my boundaries, right? That starts young. That starts at that, give a hug to Auntie Judy. We can't do that to our kids, right? They need to know. And we again, we've got lots and lots of research that says that kids who have more knowledge, kids who understand and know the names of their body parts are safer, safer from predators, right? There's, there's research that shows that predators will not target kids who can name their body parts because those kids can report. They can talk to mom and dad about it. They can talk to an adult about it. If you give kids euphemisms for their body parts, they're gonna talk about their body parts as if they're objects, right? There's, there's this story I heard from a teacher a while ago that really stuck with me about the importance of teaching kids their body part names. Um, there's this little girl uh, whose parents, and it happens all the time, uh, used the, I'm gonna use a different term than in the story because I don't wanna breach confidentiality for anybody. But let's say the parents used to call her vulva uh, a muffin. And, you know, uh, make sure you wash your muffin, don't touch your muffin, stuff like that. Um, and uh, she was being um, sexually molested by her uncle. And she went to school one day and told her teacher, my uncle keeps touching my muffin. And the teacher didn't know. She's like, okay, honey, go and sit down. And, you know, months later, a report was made, the uncle was charged, and the teacher realized, oh my God, I could have done something a long time ago if I had known, right? And so there's no blame there on the parents or on the teacher. It's just a matter of fact that if that little girl could have said, my uncle's touching my vulva, I would have changed her life, right? That's a very small you know, a very small example of, of how language is super important, how knowledge is super important. Yeah, it just it just sounds like there's so many pitfalls uh, as as individuals or as a society um, that we are, I guess, at risk of getting into um, just because of the lack of like, education and, and using proper terminology. Um, and knowing what how to do things safely and getting checked when you feel like you need to. And there's just like such a stigma around talking about sex uh, openly. Yeah. And like I said, if your parents don't talk about it and your teachers only talk about it once in a while, 
how are you going to grow up and be able to have a clear and and uh, educated discussion with boyfriends or girlfriends or or other or peers, right? We talk about sex all the time. Sex is everywhere. It sells like crazy, but we don't actually know very much about sex and sexual safety and sexual pleasure and sexual health. Yeah. So I'm curious about two things as we come to a close. One, for anyone who is looking to start having those conversations early for parents or teachers or anybody out there who wants to start, you know, talking to kids or preteens or teens about these kinds of things, where would you steer them to get the resources or the training that they need to be able to appropriately have these conversations with their children or their students? Um, there's a lot of really good websites. Um, uh, we, we're, we're so, you know, lucky and, and privileged in Canada that we've, we've got all this uh, knowledge at our fingertips. One uh, website that I find really helpful um, for a number of things, because it, anyways, it's got all kinds of, of information and resources. It's called um, sexandyou.ca. Uh, it's just S-E-X, A-N-D, and the letter U, dot C-A. Um, it's, uh, it's done by the uh, Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Um, so there's lots of, I mean, it's a credible, a credible source. Yeah. Um, there's another one I always use with my students, and um, I'm just trying to find it here. It's called Scarletine. Scarletine. Yeah, um, it's, it's sex education for the real world. It's uh, it's really uh, young person friendly, I find, and it's really accessible. It's s c a r l e t e e n dot com, and you can find tons and tons and tons of resources on there. Uh, lots of good plain language information, uh, not too scientific and stuff like that. Um, those are the two that come to mind right away. Um, Planned Parenthood is also a, always a good, Planned Parent Canada is also a good uh, resource, but I haven't checked their website in a long time, so don't quote me on that. Um, but I can also send you some, Jenny. I can send you some by email. That would be great. And yeah. then Usually, as we come to the end of an episode, I know we've touched on a lot of different things, but we like to ask if there is one last insight or piece of wisdom that you could leave with people who are listening on this topic, what would you say to them? I think that uh, knowledge is power, no matter what topic you talk about, no, what, no matter what, you know, what what situation we were in, knowledge is power. And so read, learn, go down those rabbit holes if you find something interesting um, and, and talk, talk to people, listen to people like you guys doing this great stuff. Um, and uh, just, just let go of that shame and guilt that has been so indoctrinated into our, into our society um, and, and let's just talk about sex and gender and, and let's respect each other. Yeah, that's all. I love that. Awesome. All right. Thank you.
Yeah. Hey, I, my pleasure. I, I, I appreciated your time. Oh, we, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and uh, talk so openly with us. And that's amazing, like ending insights for me too. So I love that. All right. Yeah, me too. All right, everybody. So I definitely felt like I was taken to class today. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot that we took in that I myself was not aware of, but I feel like this is just the start of the conversation. And hopefully there is a lot here that uh, might be good takeaways for you as the listener or to inspire you to go out and get more information. Yeah, I mean, for me, I just feel like like we were talking a little bit before this where it's just like now I need to do research or I should do more or even add in episodes to this podcast where people can get more information. Like the fact that even for me, when she said vulva, I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure I know what that is, but like, can you just clarify for me? Yeah, well, it's it's definitely not a car. Um, <laughs> it is the outer part <laughs> of the female genitalia. Um, but yeah, I just have a lot more questions, and uh, I I thought this was all great information, and she shared beautifully, so. Uh, yeah, if you guys want to find out more information, we're definitely going to include some information in the show notes uh, with possibly some diagrams that we can look at. And if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us, have a little insight at gmail.com. And we are mainly on Instagram. And on there, we are at Hallie Podcast. So you can get in touch with us there as well. So hopefully this sparked you to start talking to your kids or your students or even your peers about sexuality or things that might be happening with your body or maybe you're not comfortable talking to the people in your life but maybe this sparked you to have a conversation with your doctor and for anybody who wants to start having that conversation and doesn't know how or doesn't know where to start like Ryan said we will be providing some resources that Kat gave us in the show notes so Let's, uh, hopefully you're on board to continue this mission of getting uncomfortable to get more comfortable with things. And, uh, in the meantime, have a fantastic week, everybody. Yeah. And as Kat said, knowledge is power. Uh, so get out there and get some knowledge. Take care, everybody. Bye.